You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. All right. Well, today we're on part five of our series, Pentecost. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and what it looks like to be people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit as our advocate, the one who comes alongside, who stands in for us, and that we need an advocate because we have an accuser that is constantly accusing us before God the Father and also just accusing us in our own minds. And we wrestle with that regularly. And today I want to talk about uh, pain and promise, pain and promise in regards to the Holy Spirit. Now, 2020 has introduced us to a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of uh, wondering, like, what is going on in our world? It just feels like there's this constant turmoil around us, uh, especially in the United States of America, where we're dealing with, you know, uh, the pandemic and also dealing with civil unrest regarding racial relations and all of those kind of things. And and so well, the pandemic and the protests, and then we've got the political season upon us. It's uh, it's uh, going to be a, a an interesting political season as we move towards our elections here in November. But we've, we, we've been introduced to a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And for some of us, it's it's familiar. We've been here before. For some of us, maybe it's new and it's sort of processing what that looks like. I know for me personally, I've shared this in just the last couple of months. We, I lost my mom on Mother's Day. That was extremely painful. Uh, the pastor uh, that, that was formative in my first decade of being a Christian, uh, my pastor, who he just passed away last month from covid and uh, we put down our, our dog two months ago, our, one of our oldest dogs. Jesus. So the pain and suffering for me has just been crazy for the last couple of months. But here's the thing. All of this difficulty, all of these struggles, all this pain. And yet, though we grieve, we hold on to hope. And I want to talk a little bit about how we do that in regards to the Holy Spirit this morning. How do we hold on to hope in the midst of all of this suffering and difficulty and pain and grief that we sometimes experience. And I think that Paul does a great job of talking about this in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read 10 verses, 18 through 28, and I'm going to read it from, uh, from the version of the New Testament for everyone. I love the way that it puts it, New Testament for anyone, or the NTE version here, Romans 8, 18 through 28. Here's what it says. <clears throat> this is how I work it out. The sufferings we go through in the present time are not worth putting in the scale alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. Yes, creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation, eagerly awaiting the moment when God's children will be revealed. Creation, you see, was subjected to pointless futility, not of its own volition, but because of the one who placed it in this subjection. And the hope that creation itself would be freed from its slavery to decay, to, to decay, to enjoy the freedom that comes when God's children are glorified. Let me explain. We know that the entire creation is groaning together and going through labor pains together up until the present time. He goes on to say in verse 23, not only so, we too... 
we who have the first fruits of the Spirit's life within us are groaning within ourselves as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our body. We were saved, you see, in hope. But hope isn't hope if you can see it. Who hopes for what they can see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it eagerly, but also patiently. In the same way, too, the Spirit comes alongside, that's the advocacy, the Spirit comes alongside and helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought to, or we don't know what to pray for as we ought to, but the same Spirit pleads on our behalf with groanings too deep for words, and the searcher of, of hearts knows what the Spirit is thinking because the Spirit pleads for God's people according to God's will. In verse 28, we know this very well. It says, we know, in fact, that God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So let's talk about this text real briefly. There's a particular phrase that jumps out to me, and I, I hope maybe it stood out to you. And that was this, we Verse 23, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit's life within us. And we've talked about this indwelling of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God dwells within us. But what does this mean that we have the first fruits of the Spirit's life within us? What is this first fruits idea? Well, I would say it like this. The first fruits idea is this idea of the already and not yet. What do I mean by that? Something has begun in us. We already have the first fruits, the beginning fruits of the Spirit of God within us. So something has begun and also more is to come. Now think about that in regards to the things that we face in our life, the pain that, that, we, that we look at, the suffering that we look at, and we recognize the Spirit of God within us has begun, has begun to shift, begun to change those things in our life. So something has already begun in us, but also there is more to come. So we have a measure of the life of the Spirit within us, but yet the fullness of that life is still yet to come. We haven't experienced the fullness of the life of God yet because we're still in this particular present moment waiting, eagerly expecting for what is to come. So we have pain, but we also have a promise. That's what first fruits mean. First fruits means that we have the beginning of this uh, new life, but just because we have the beginning of the new life doesn't mean that the fullness of that new life has come. So there's, there's this reality of the present, and then there's also the reality of the promise, what is to come in the future. I hope this is making sense. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits, or you could say the foretaste of the hope of glory. The resurrection. This is why he says the sufferings we go through in the present time are not worth putting in the scale along this, alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. He's like, look, the two are not worthy to be compared. This present pain that I'm experiencing has no business trying to be compared with the future glory that we will experience when all things are made new again in Christ Jesus. So the spirit that's dwelling in us is the first fruit or the foretaste 
of the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? The resurrection. The promise that we have is the resurrection of all things, not just the resurrection of Jesus. That was the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus was the the moment everything began to turn around, where things began to be made new again, where salvation was made available to you and me. But that was the beginning of the new creation. That was the beginning of the plan of God to turn and make all things right again. And so what do we have? We have to look forward to the resurrection still in us, the resurrection of the new heaven, the new earth, and and the resurrection of our lives. So in this present moment, how then do we make sense of our pain? And how do we eagerly wait for the promise? How do we make sense of our pain? How do we eagerly wait for the promise? Let's talk about these two things real quickly. First, our present pain, this already moment that we have the spirit already, but he's here in the middle of our present pain, our present struggle, our present suffering. I think it's important to know when we talk about pain here that Paul is no stranger to pain. Sometimes someone can talk about something and you and you think to yourself, if they only knew what I'm going through, if they only have experienced, you know, my story or my life, maybe they would maybe they'd have better perspective. Well, I don't know that there's anybody who has as good a perspective on what it looks like to suffer pain than Paul. I'm just gonna give you a quick synopsis of some of the things that Paul went through in his life. And Paul is the author of the book of Romans here, so he's the one writing to the churches in Rome. And Paul calls these things um, in Corinthians, these light and momentary afflictions. Here's what he says. He says this, that he's been beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, adrift at sea, in constant danger, toiling, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, in cold and exposure. And he says, and beyond all of that, He says, and apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, I I summarize that. You can go read that in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 25 through 28, where Paul talks about the hardships that he's going through. He calls these things present, momentary, light afflictions. So Paul is very uh, well versed in pain and suffering. And Paul writes to the Roman church, he's like, look, these sufferings we go through are not worthy. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to what is to come, the future glory that we have. But the good news is, is Paul doesn't just avoid the idea of pain altogether. He recognizes that in the present moment there is pain. And when he was writing to the churches in Rome... He was, it was very relevant for them to talk about the suffering and the pain and the struggle they were going through. Why? Because the churches in Rome were very accustomed to suffering. And most of the churches were filled with Gentiles. Many of them were, were slaves or former slaves who, in the natural, have no hope for a future. They have no possessions. They have no property. They have no posterity. In, in, in effect, they have really no purpose. And so they understand the struggle of the pain and suffering. And so Paul is writing directly to their moment. 
It's as if Paul was writing to the moment in Romans and also thousands of years later to the moment that we experience right here, right today. Why? Because pain and suffering until Jesus comes again, until all things are made new again, pain and suffering is a constant in humanity. It is not something that we can avoid. It's not something we can run away from. It's not something that we can that we can just kind of wish away. It's real. It's present. And Paul addresses this present, this already. We have the spirit already with us in the midst of our pain. So how do we make sense of our pain? Well, the power of sin that worked death and decay in us is also uh, working death and decay in the world. It's, it's working in the, in the world, bringing death and decay. We see this all over the news. We see life and death and struggle and suffering and poverty and sickness and disease. And, and we wonder, God, how long? So we see the power of sin that worked death and decay in us is also at work in the world bringing death and decay. How do we make sense of our pain? We recognize that there is real pain. It's visceral. We feel it deeply. We don't just know about it. We feel it deeply. But how we deal with it is we recognize that this present pain does not compare to the promise. This present pain does not compare to the promise. This is why he talks about the groaning. Paul talks about the groaning of creation. The, the creation is on its tiptoes, looking, longing, waiting for, with expectation, eagerly awaiting the moment that everything's made new again. So creation's groaning, that we are groaning with the same sort of expectation, that the Spirit groans with us with the same expectation. What is this groaning? This groaning is, is that we know deeply within us that what is, is not what should be. We know deeply in us what is, is not what should be. And so we groan because we recognize that what we're going through doesn't compare with the promises to come. That there is something more that we are looking for, that we are longing for, that we are hoping for. So our present pain, <clears throat> this present moment that we have, this, this real life struggle that we're in, we always have to keep it in perspective with the promise of God. And let's talk about this perspective promise that we have. We hold on to hope because we have a promise that God is and that God will make all things new again. That God is making all things new and that God will make all things new. I've said this before, it's this whole idea that I have been made new. When I was born again, I was made a new creation. And that God is making me new, that he is working in me and, and shaping me and transforming me more and more into his image. And that in the future, there's coming a day where I will be made fully new again. Christian hope is the resurrection the resurrection we're talking about where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more sickness, where there's no more death. Death will be defeated. 
the completion and the perfection of the new creation. That's what we mean by the resurrection, the perfection and the completion of the new creation. My friend Glenn Packiam put it like this. He said, the new heaven and the new earth is not simply a restoration of creation to its original form. It is a renewal that is so strong, it constitutes a fresh, creative act which carries creation to its intended goal. New creation is not restoration, but consummation. It does not make it what it was, it makes it something more. This is what our Christian hope is, that we are longing for the resurrection of all things, where all things are made new, where death is defeated, where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. We'll be fully and completely in relationship with God without hindrance, made completely new. Where the, the corruptible will put on the incorruptible. As Paul says in Corinthians. We're waiting for that moment. This is the promise that we have. The not yet that we look to. The creation is on tiptoe longing for. Why we groan because we know that this present moment, this present pain doesn't compare to this future glory, this resurrection life that we are looking for, longing for, eagerly expecting and waiting. So how do we eagerly wait for this promise? Well, we do it two ways that Paul talks about here with patience and with prayer. First, with patience. We are, I am an impatient person. We are an impatient people. This crisis that we're in, this COVID pandemic that we're in has exposed this truth. We want answers. We want solutions. We want results. And when do we want them? We want them now. You see it. It's all over your Facebook feed, all over your Twitter feed. It's all over mine. It's all over the news. Um, it just has turned into this crazy thing. And I think when the curtains have been pulled back, what we see is that we are very, very impatient people. That we, we want answers. We want results. And we want them right now. But we need to realize something. The Lord is patient. Scriptures tell us the Lord is patient. He's slow to anger. And we, we need to be patient like the Lord. The Lord is patient. He is patient in working out his good and perfect plan in the earth. Thank God he was patient with me. Thank God he's patient with you. The Lord is patient. And so we must be like the Lord. We need to be patient people. We need to learn how to hope with patience. Recognize that God has done something already. How do we know? First fruits. We have the Spirit of God in us. And that God has promised that He's going to do something, that He's working towards an expected end. How do we know? We have the first fruits of the Spirit within us. And so we need to learn how to hope with patience. We need to be patient people. And secondly, we need to be people of prayer. This is not a passive idea. No, no, no. This is how we participate with God. 
This is how we co-labor with the Trinity for the purposes of pl and plans of God here on earth. This is why Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, teach us how to co-labor with the Trinity, co-labor with Father, Son, and Spirit for the sake of earth today. That we might be that we might be able to give a foretaste to the world, to to the people that we have influence, a foretaste of what it looks like to be kingdom people. That we might show them how to be different in the midst of all of this suffering and pain and struggle and pandemic. That we can show forth that there is a future hope that we look forward to, and we do that prayerfully on on earth as it is in heaven. We see what should be, and we see what is, and our prayers help to shift or move or seek, petition God for the, for, for the fullness to come. We see what should not be in our earth, and we prayerfully petition heaven for what is to come or what should be. We seek for justice. We seek for mercy. We seek uh, to walk humbly with God. When we see that things are not as they should be, what do we do? We, we petition the throne of God on behalf of those around us. We prayerfully seek God for what is to come. And sometimes, as Paul writes here in this text, sometimes this is an inarticulate prayer. Sometimes this looks like groaning, an inarticulate way of praying. Just, I don't have the words for what we are experiencing. So I allow the Spirit of God to make intercession on my behalf with groanings and prayers that are inarticulate, that I, that I can't comprehend necessarily with my natural mind. Praying in the Spirit. And that's something we're going to talk about. We're going to get back to the idea of praying in the Spirit uh, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But this is the idea that we, we're prayerfully petitioning heaven and sometimes... Oftentimes, those prayers are inarticulate. They're, they're groanings. They're longings. Deeply, we know that what is, is not what should be. And so we petition heaven on behalf of what should be. And I think that Paul beautifully summarizes this whole idea in verse 28. And let me connect it with verse 18 and 28. This sort of bracket this section. Here's what he says. This verse 18. This is how I work it out. Paul's like, this is how I work it out. The sufferings we go through in the present time are not worth putting in the scale alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. Verse 28. For we know, in fact, that God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This is how... This is how we make sense of our pain. This is how we eagerly wait for the promise. Miroslav Volf, who is a Croatian a theologian, he said this about this verse 28. He said, two renderings of Romans 8.28. Rendering one would be all things work together for good to those who love God. And that's a very familiar rendering that we all probably have even memorized. 
But he said the second rendering is this, in everything God works for good with those who love God. It's a little bit different. In everything, God works for good with those who love God. And Mirzlov says this, he says, the second rendering here is the right rendering because, quote, all things don't work to our good. We look at death and, and tragedies and moments. Those, those things in and of themselves do not work to our good. No, he's saying all things don't work to our good. God works with us for God's ultimate good, which is our good too. We could say this, that God works with us for God's ultimate good in our moments, in all things, which is our good too. God works with us in all things for God's ultimate good, which is our good too. So when we look at what's happening around in our lives, the struggle and the suffering and the pain, the already first fruits of the Spirit, but the not yet promise that we have, that the first fruits tell us that something greater is coming. When we, when we take all of this into consideration, we have to allow our faith to be established on the fact that we know that God works with us in all things for his ultimate good. And his ultimate good is also our ultimate good. That it is leading you and me towards resurrection where all things will be made new again. Let's pray today. Father, we petition you this morning. We are grateful that we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us and that you're not afraid to enter with us into our pain, into our suffering, into our struggles. We thank you that the Spirit is just the first fruits of what's to come. That there's already this sort of down payment, this seal of the promise of God with the Holy Spirit in us. And that it declares to us that there's more coming, that there's resurrection around the corner. And so we look to that resurrection. Help us, Lord, to wait patiently. Help us, Lord, to wait prayerfully. Help us, Lord, to be anchored in this hope of salvation that's been sealed by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you go, let me pray this prayer or speak this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.